Top of the morning to you, Four Oaks. Pastor Paul here, it's Tuesday, October 17th. So glad that you have joined us for this round of our pastoral devotionals. Our typical practice, of course, is to work our way through a passage of Scripture or the passage of Scripture that we're going to be covering that Sunday in our sermon. So this season, that's been the Gospel of Matthew. But what we're doing this week, um, or at least a couple of days of this week, is just varying that up a little bit and that we are going back and just picking up a couple of the theological pieces from the sermon from this past Sunday. And of course, that has to do with the Sabbath and Jesus um, healing on the Sabbath, Jesus um, doing good things on the Sabbath, but yet being condemned by the Pharisees for what he was doing on the Sabbath. And we said, you know, the, the, the main purpose or the main thrust of that of this passage in Matthew 12, which we're going to read in a second, is not to answer all our Sabbath questions. It's to really point us back to the nature of true spirituality, which is, apart from a changed heart, a transformed heart and mind, then doing the rituals and the traditions, even those prescribed by God in the Old Testament, wasn't going to do anyone any good. That was the main point. But we also said, you know, there are some things to say about the Sabbath that aren't the primary points of this text, but clearly are issues that are raised. And so let me read a portion of this text that we looked at on Sunday to kind of jumpstart us into this discussion. So this is Matthew 12, verse 9. He went on from there, that's Jesus, and entered their synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand, and they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? He said to them, which one of you has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand, and the man stretched it out, and it was restored healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. So the relevant thing for us this morning and this week is focusing on that aspect of Jesus correcting the misapplication and the misunderstanding that the Pharisees had about the Sabbath. For them, um, it was all about the extra rabbinical rules and traditions they had established around what you could and could not do. And for Jesus, he says, you've missed the whole point. But it comes to, to fruition here in verse 10, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And then his response is, um, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Now, what we're asking is, what, how does this relate to our ongoing practice of sabbatical or, or rest? And, and yesterday I mentioned this, there's, there's kind of a spectrum here. Okay, so one end of the spectrum is where probably most evangelicals fall. It's kind of our default position because of our background and history, et cetera, is that we really don't think about the Sabbath at all. It's kind of an afterthought. It's, it's, we, we know something about Sunday and Chick-fil-A being closed, and this is when we go to church. But otherwise, it doesn't really make much of a dent on our impression of what, what the Sabbath is. On the other end of the spectrum in Protestantism, is more from the Reformed tradition, which advocates for a very, uh, a much more rigid, strict observance of the Sabbath, as, um, as witnessed by the fact that the fourth commandment is actually dealing with the Sabbath, and that 
Um, there's nothing to, to make us think that that's not still in full force. And that really, in addition to worshiping God on Sunday, which the Lord's Day has now replaced the Sabbath in that economy, uh, the, the, other than that, we should only be doing works of necessity and works of mercy. And everything else, whether it's traveling or um, doing any kind of work or recreation, watching television, going to football games, all, all that should really be off limits. So those are your two spectrums. And left off yesterday by saying, I think both of those miss the mark in important ways. But they really come, really, this really comes down to do we understand the Sabbath? okay, as it's contained in the fourth commandment, is this a part of God's sort of his general moral law that he gave to all creation, okay? Or is this more part of the mosaic economy um, that was only pertinent to the God's old covenant people? And, and so I want to pick it back up where we left off there. So, so there were three kinds of laws in the Old Testament. And there's obviously overlap if you have your Venn diagram. But there were ceremonial laws. Those were the laws of the temple. Those were the laws of, of what it meant to be spiritually pure and cleansed and to bring sacrifices. And there was a whole host of those laws that, that applied to, to the Israelites. There were things called the civil law. okay, And those were the laws that governed their interactions as a people in a theocracy, okay? How you treated one another and property and those sorts of things. And then the, there would be what we would call the moral law. And the moral law would be those things which are true for everyone and every time and every place, even as new covenant believers. And so most Christians believe that Jesus fulfilled the civil law, the ceremonial law. In other words, we are no longer observe those in the same way, not because they were irrelevant, but because they fulfilled in Christ, okay? But it's the moral law which has ongoing relevance to us in the Ten Commandments. Don't, for example, don't murder, don't steal, um, honor your father and mother, have no other gods before me. Those weren't just things for old covenant people, they're for new covenant people as well. The problem or the, the challenge is, how did the Sabbath function in that? Was it a part of God's moral law and creation or and thus have an ongoing relationship to us? Or was this part of the mosaic economy? And so the book I'm recommending to you, The Law of Perfect Freedom by Michael Horton, who's a Reformed scholar, pastor, professor, um, makes this point, and I think it's very relevant, okay? And I'm going to kind of read here um, or, or at least note, okay, that we notice that the in in the Ten Commandments, okay, which we generally identify as the moral law, that every one of those commandments is repeated in the New Testament. That's why we honor them, except for one, in which commandment is not repeated in the New Testament. Of course, that is the fourth commandment about the Sabbath. Not only that, but we do see that the New Testament does have a few things to say about the Sabbath. So if you've got a study Bible, okay, or a concordance, or an electronic tablet like me, if you type in the word Sabbath, okay, and you can pull it up here, 
and you can go to those verses, which New Testament verses, which talk about the Sabbath. And one of those is Colossians 2.16. Let's, let's read this, okay? And remember, the context are Jews who are putting pressure on Gentiles to observe Jewish laws, which we think are fulfilled in Christ. Doesn't mean it was wrong for them to observe them. It was wrong for them to mandate that other people do them, kind of like circumcision. Verse 16, Colossians 2, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard, regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So, so what we have there is Paul, he's talking to a group of Jews and Gentiles. There are Jews who still observe the strict Sabbath requirements of the Old Covenant, and Paul doesn't condemn them, okay? In fact, Paul says in other places, if it, if, if it violates your conscience to do X, Y, and Z on the Sabbath, then don't do it. Don't go against your conscience. But what he says is, don't make that mandatory or a sign of spiritual maturity for those who don't do that, okay? And this is why he says, let no one pass judgment on you. Now, how would, how would someone from uh, a traditional view view that? They, they, they might say something like, well, well, you know, Pastor Paul, there was lots of different kind of Sabbaths and special days and those sorts of things. And, but Paul's not talking about like, the Sabbath Sabbath, he's talking about these other special days. And I just sort of want to say to that, I don't find that super compelling. Um, in fact, I find that highly speculative and very unclear when Paul specifically uses the word Sabbath, okay? So Paul seems to be saying, you, we are not called, commanded to observe the Sabbath in the same way um, as the old covenant believers. All right, let's look at another passage. Turn over to Romans chapter 14, okay? And here, um, Paul is again addressing Jews and Gentiles living together who were, uh, who were judging one another and who were passing judgment on one another based upon different Jewish laws, okay? So let's, let, let, let's, let's read this together, okay? Verse 5, Romans 14. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. So in other words... Paul says, look, for some of you, all days are the same. You know that Jesus is your rest, that there is a Sabbath rest for the people of God. And you understand because of that, it's not that just one day belongs to the Lord. All the days belong to God, right? And you're finding your theological, spiritual rest in him. There's others of you, maybe more from a Jewish background, where you know these things are a shadow and you know that they're a pointer to Christ, but you still feel compelled because of conscience, tradition, family background, etc., to observe the Sabbath in the old way. 
Paul doesn't condemn that person. He says, fine, do what your conscience dictates. And I think here is where we begin to see where the New Testament um, is, is landing on the Sabbath, that there is a sense, as Hebrews 4 says, we have found our Sabbath rest in God, that all the days belong to Jesus, that we find our rest in him, and that Jesus fulfill, and that the Sabbath was a particular part of the Mosaic economy to be observed in that time, in that place. Um, but now we are not called to practice it in the same way. There's a lot of freedom. There is um, a working of the conscience. Now, saying all that, it still brings up the issue, well, Pastor Paul, what does it mean then for me to honor the Lord's day today? Now, this week, in this, in this life, you're telling me that, that you can't necessarily look to the Sabbath and say, we have to observe it in all the same ways with all the same strictures. What, what, what do we do? Well, I'm glad you asked. That's going to be what we turn our attention to tomorrow. I'm going to, this will be part three and the last thing we'll say about this. I'm going to kind of give you a flyover as to how I think we ought to think about rest the Lord's day. Um, I don't think the creation account is irrelevant to this discussion. I just don't think it's relevant as to why we should observe the Sabbath uh, according to a strict set of rules and guides and regulations. But I do think, as we're going to find, that there are real principles um, that we can apply from the New Testament about what it means to be God's people on the Lord's day and how that has ongoing relevance in our life without going to a passage like Matthew 12 and drawing up a list and saying, what should we do? What should we not do? I think that misses the point. But we do want to say, what kind of trajectory does this set for our life as new covenant believers? That will be part three tomorrow. All right, guys, thanks for thanks for sticking with us. I, I think... I think what we say tomorrow will be helpful for you. It's been helpful for me as I've thought through this. And, um, but today, again, once more, remember, your ultimate rest is in Christ. That it's not, by, it's not what you do. That's not your identity. Your identity is found in him, what he has done for you, so that you might rest in his grace and his mercy. We'll see you tomorrow. Lord, let us rest in you today. Um, and let us have a pure heart as we come to you asking, what does it mean to honor you on, on your day, on the Lord's day? Um, and while it may not come with the same sorts of rules and regulations that it once did for your people, there's still something meaningful, meaningful to be found in this idea of resting in you. So Lord, give us grace, give us your wisdom. In your name we pray, amen. All right, everybody, see you tomorrow.